Conservative leader Pierre Polyev couldn't provide any assurance of safety for Canadians as authorities issued a Canada-wide warrant for high-risk British Columbia sex offender Randall Hopley. The president and CEO of Sustainable Development Technology Canada has resigned after the Federal Crown Corporation was accused of doling out millions of taxpayer dollars to companies connected to its board members. Condo developers are abandoning projects in Toronto as sales have dropped to their lowest levels in a decade. Hello Canada, it's Tuesday, November 14th, and this is True North's Daily Brief. I'm Cosman Georgia. And I'm Noah Jarvis. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev did not mince his words on Monday about the risk posed to Canadians as authorities issued a Canada-wide warrant for high-risk British Columbia sex offender Randall Hopley after he escaped from a Vancouver halfway house earlier this month. Polyev told True North during a press conference in downtown Vancouver that he could not offer Canadian parents any assurance of safety due to the Trudeau government's catch-and-release justice system. Uh, Cosman Georgia, True North, as of today, high-risk child sex offender Randall Hopley remains on the loose here in BC and is uh, wanted on a Canada-wide warrant. He escaped from a Vancouver halfway house after a six-year sentence, and despite the parole board finding he violated his suspension order, no new charges were pressed. So what assurances do you have for Canadian parents? None. I, I'm afraid, I wish I could give you assurances, but unfortunately, when we have a, a Trudeau's catch-and-release justice system allows repeat violent, dangerous predators to live in halfway houses, then there is no assurance of safety. This is the system Trudeau has created. He has deliberately allowed the most violent and dangerous prolific offenders to be released again and again and again, either on same-day bail, early parole, or into halfway houses where they can simply walk out the door and go forth to terrorize and destroy lives. And that is why after eight years of Trudeau, with the support of the NDP, violent crime is up 40%. A common-sense conservative government will keep repeat violent offenders behind bars so that all of our people can be safe. On November 4th, Hopley left his halfway house and removed his ankle monitor in the process. With a history of convictions including assault, property offenses, and sexual crimes against children, Hopley was due in court two days after his escape. He was previously imprisoned for the 2011 abduction of a three-year-old, had been released under a long-term supervision order, which he allegedly breached in January. So just a live update on this story, we just found out that Randall Hopley was discovered and arrested by police. He was discovered in the downtown east side in Vancouver and is currently in custody in the Vancouver jail according to the Vancouver Police Department. 
But it took almost 10 days to arrest Hopley, and I did feel living in British Columbia that there was some tension among parents, specifically because you think of the worst possible scenario when somebody like this is on the loose. And I was quite surprised by Pierre Polyev's response to my question, where he said that he had absolutely no assurances to give to parents. Noah, what did you make of Pierre Polyev's answer? I agree with you in that Pierre Polyev's answer was quite surprising, you know, and, and Pierre Polyev, he's right, you know, how could he provide assurances to families in British Columbia that their child wouldn't be made victim by Hopley? I mean, it is a little bit of honesty from politicians that we seldom get, but I appreciate the answer that Polyev gave. At the end of the day, it is the federal government who sets criminal law in Canada and the federal government, along with the Supreme Court of Canada, they have been chipping away at some of the protections that citizens get from criminals where they are released on bail, they are released early. Sometimes the courts even strike down certain federal laws that require a mandatory minimum to keep these sorts of uh, criminals and just predators in jail. In Canada, it seems as if we have too much of a focus on rehabilitation of certain criminals where, you know, certain repeat uh, violent offenders have had the chance to, you know, change their ways. But at the end of the day, they are who they are. And the Canadian public needs to be protected against these types of people. And it just, uh, this case is just a failure of our justice system. It is another failure of the federal government to create the laws, adequate laws, to keep predators in jail where they're supposed to be. And because of this failure, the residents of BC now have to live in fear that their child may be unfortunately assaulted by this man. For sure. And from my perspective, there are certain crimes an individual can commit, including sexual crimes against children, sexual assault, premeditated murder, where an individual essentially abandons their right to live among society. And here we have this person who has quite a past of assaulting kids as young as three years old. It's heinous, and they were allowed to live among people among ordinary polite society at a halfway house to transition them back into the society. And another troubling detail about this case is that Hopley was actually found to have broken his suspension orders. He was discovered at a library in the vicinity of children using a computer despite a ban on him uh, using any electronic devices to access the internet because of his history. And the Parole Board of Canada suggested to the Crown prosecutors that Hopley face additional charges for this incident, and no charges were pressed as of his escape. So clearly, there is a failure on multiple levels here. It's not just the fact that Hopley was released from prison and sent to a halfway house in one of the most populous and, and vibrant cities in Canada, Vancouver, but also that the parole board recommended charges and the Crown didn't immediately crack down on Hopley, rearrest him, 
put him behind bars and take him before a judge in a court of law to figure these charges out, whether they applied or not. So Noah, like this is obviously a complex issue. There are so many different aspects to getting a criminal into prison long term. But I, I just I just don't see the political will in the current government to do anything about this. The liberals have talked about reform to the justice system, but the solutions they've proposed have been nonsense. They haven't worked. And, and it seems like it's just going to be more of the same moving forward. Unfortunately, it does seem like uh, it will be more of the same. When you were uh, just listing out all the previous things that Hopley had done, uh, the only thing I could think of is that is deeply troubling. It is deeply troubling that the authorities were given every single indication possible that Hopley should not be in polite society with the rest of Vancouver's residents, but yet they either were incapable or unwilling to put this man behind bars where he should be. And that is a failure of law enforcement on every level and going right up to the federal government that creates criminal law nationally for all the provinces and the municipalities to enforce. The Trudeau government, they have repeatedly taken action to minimize the penalties that criminals will face for their crimes. And in conjunction with the Supreme Court, who have also been uh, striking down uh, mandatory minimums, the federal government has done nothing in response to courts running roughshod over our criminal law. So yeah, it does not seem like there is the political will for the liberal government to take any action on this whatsoever. It is assuring that the official opposition, the government in waiting, does take this issue a bit more seriously, but it remains to be seen if they could even uh, effectively take action on this matter when you do have these courts running rampant and striking down federal laws meant to protect citizens of Canada. The president and CEO of Sustainable Development Technology Canada, SDTC, Leah Lawrence, has resigned after facing scrutiny for doling out millions of taxpayer dollars to companies connected to its members of the Federal Crown Corporation's board of directors. Lawrence's resignation comes after multiple news reports and an investigation by the House of Commons Ethics Committee uncovered significant corporate mismanagement during Lawrence's time as SDTC's CEO. In Lawrence's letter of resignation, she lashed out against what she perceives to be a pernicious campaign against her leadership that has compromised her ability to lead SDTC. She wrote, quote, Given recent media reports, House of Commons testimony, and the surrounding controversy, it is clear there has been a sustained and malicious campaign to undermine my leadership. This compromises my future ability to lead the organization and put me in an untenable situation and I want to see this organization succeed, unquote. In response to whistleblowers from SDTC reaching out to the government and complaining about corporate mismanagement, the Federal Department, Innovation, Science, and Economic Development commissioned a report from Raymond Chabot Grant Thornton to investigate the matter. The RCGT report uncovered a number of problems with SDTC's governance, including the funneling of money to companies in which board of directors members had personal or financial interests, 
several violations of SDTC's contribution agreement with ISED, and failures of SDTC's human resources policy. So Cosman, I know that you've been looking into Crown Corporations for quite a while now that you've been a journalist. Is this something that uh, you have seen during your time covering the federal government? And why do you think that uh, Crown Corporations have been able to get away with this sort of soft corruption for so long? Well, I think in Canada, nepotism is a huge problem, especially in the government and Crown Corporations quite frankly, don't face the same sort of accountability as other organizations would. I think in the private sector, you see more serious consequences for actions like this and, and you know, just the failures of executives to achieve proper governance. And Canada's ethics laws are, are truly lacking when it comes to holding government officials and especially government appointees accountable. I mean, this individual, this CEO, will probably move on to another lucrative position somewhere else, right? Maybe in the public sector, maybe in the private sector. And I don't see the sort of accountability that should come with essentially helping one's friends to the detriment of the greater good of the organization you work for. And it's quite disheartening as a Canadian taxpayer when you see this happening repeatedly with Crown Corporations completely mismanaging their mandates. Right. You bring up a good point that, you know, crown corporations don't face the same incentives or the people running these crown corporations don't face the same incentives that, you know, executives and board members at private corporations do, you know, say what you want about private corporations that are not perfect by any means, but they at least have an incentive to not dole out tons and tons and millions and tens of millions of dollars, whereas these board members and executives at STTC, they were incentivized to dole out more and more taxpayer dollars, even if it meant giving uh, this money to companies that they had personal or financial vested interests in. Yeah, it's also the case like any appointee like by the government seems to do this. We, we saw it with the journalism fund when the federal government first set that up. There was a group of people they appointed who, who were from the media sector uh, to a board that essentially would classify certain outlets or organizations as official journalism organizations, which would then be entitled to a portion of the media bailout and you know, we, we saw, I think it was the Winnipeg Free Press, like the owner of the Winnipeg Free Press or the, the CEO or president was on the board that selected who got this money. And coincidentally, the Winnipeg Free Press was one of the outlets that received funding from the federal government. And, you know, when you approach them, they say, oh, well, we recused ourselves from this conversation and we didn't partake in awarding ourselves funding. But I mean, to, to any outside observer, the intention and what went on is obvious. And I think that's the case with this story as well, Noah. Condominium sales have dropped to their lowest levels in a decade in the greater Toronto area due to high interest rates and an unstable economy. The change has led many builders to put future projects on hold despite Canada's growing housing supply crisis. 
A report published by Urbanation, a condominium market analyst, found that 40 condo projects that were expected to be completed in 2023 have been put on hiatus. Those projects account for a total of 13,721 units. The report revealed a 23% drop in condo pre-sales in the third quarter when compared to last year with only 2,491 units launched for pre-sale in 2023. Both builders and buyers are now more focused on lower-priced locations, predominantly in the surrounding suburbs of Toronto, which made up 54% of sales in the third quarter. Sean Hildebrand, president of Urbanation, wrote in a news release, quote, Elevated interest rates and heightened market uncertainty continued to grip the new condominium sector in the GTA. Canada's housing crisis continues to be at the forefront of people's minds as more and more young Canadians have given up on the notion of ever owning a home. With the lowest numbers of housing units per 1,000 residents of all G7 countries, Canada currently faces the highest prices for housing in the G7. Noah, you're a young man. You know, I'm, I'm, I might be dating myself here a little bit, but um, do you feel hopeful about your future to own a home Unfortunately, Cosman, I don't. And I, I, it's not because I have, you know, no education and I just work a mini, minimum wage job and, you know, don't really have a future in front of me. You know, I go to university campus with people who are studying engineering and architecture and they say the same things. You know, they say that even if I work for five, 10 years after graduating, I have no prospect of being able to own my own home in this sort of housing market. And, you know, it's for good reason. The average price of a home in Toronto is over a million dollars. And it seems as if all levels of government are doing everything they can to just not take the necessary action to be able to resolve this housing crisis. When it comes to the federal government, they have driven up inflation, which has led to or has necessitated the Bank of Canada to increase their interest rates, which obviously uh, harms people trying to take out a mortgage. And also municipalities, they're doing everything they can to drive up the price of a house initially, you know, with the exorbitant taxes that builders have to pay in order to just get their development completed. And also the amount of red tape that uh, municipalities place on developers that also drive up the cost of a home. So unless municipalities, provinces and the federal government work together to just stop the counterintuitive policies that have led to this housing crisis. Um, it doesn't seem as if my generation will be able to own a home anytime soon. Yeah, and you're right to say that this really uh, requires a, a cross-societal approach. I think, personally, and this might be a little bit controversial, but normally I don't think the government uh, should get involved in most things, but like housing is very important. And when you look at the pandemic, you know, we we took a whole societal approach, got everybody involved to fight what was essentially a, a flu, a, a cold virus. But in the case of homelessness, which I think poses a greater risk, both in, in terms of health, you know, uh, in, in terms of the economy and in terms of just the general well-being, I think everybody needs to get involved. And one of the things that's not spoken about when it comes to housing is the infrastructure required to expand housing availability. To build houses, 
you know, you we ha- we have our current plots, but I don't think that's enough. We need to build more roads. We need to build more electricity infrastructure. We need to build more water supply. There are so many things we need to do in Canada, and we have so much space to do it. And 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 to do that, it requires everybody, every level of of not only government but also the private sector. And there needs to be a national campaign to get Canada going, to 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 build this country into what I think our our forefathers and the founders of this country imagined it could be, and that is truly, you know, one of the most prosperous places in the world. And I think that's what the potential is here. And to do that, there needs to be a serious acknowledgement that Canada, we need to get rid of the red tape and we really need to build uh, outwards. That's it for today, folks. Don't forget to check in at www.tnc throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news.